secret study that we've been working through for the last six weeks. And so today we, we bring that to conclusion. I just want to begin this morning by thanking Pastor Brett uh, for this opportunity. Uh, this is the longest I've ever preached in a row. And I don't know if you guys know this or not, but Brett loves preaching. It's like kind of his main gift. Um, and so it's a big deal for him to just, uh, just release that uh, to just somebody. And... Um, I appreciate him just not being stingy. There's a lot of pastors out there who will, uh, um, they'll, they'll never let someone else take their spot um, in front of a church. And so I appreciate his humility in that and for giving me this opportunity. So thank you, Brett, for that. Uh, also, just grateful to the Lord for this study. Um, and maybe I'm the only one that's received anything from this. And if so, that's fine. It was worth it. Uh, but hopefully you've been encouraged by it too, um, to understand um, that, that we really have no... <laughs> No good thing about us, right? We're talking about fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, all of these things. And the point of this series has not been to encourage you to be more loving and kind and peaceful people, even though we need to be. But there, there, there's a limit, right? We can all be as much as these things as we can possibly be by our own, uh, uh, our own accord, you know, our own purpose, our own will. But at some point, we reach a max, and that's where we rely on the Holy Spirit to do something through these fruits that only he could do. And it always revolves around bringing his name glory and fulfilling his gospel, right? And so hopefully you've, you've taken that and, and that you've applied that and you've put some effort into just getting out of his way as you resist the flesh and, and you pursue Jesus Christ and to let him overflow in you through these things. Right. So let's read once again Galatians chapter 5, 22 through 25. This will be um, um, the sixth time we've read this together as a church. Uh, it's the fruits of the Spirit, and it's the passage we've been looking at on a weekly basis. Let's read it once again. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So today we move on to faithfulness. Uh, we looked at gentleness and self-control last week, but I thought faithfulness would be a, a wonderful end uh, to our time together. So if you're from Vermilion County, perhaps you know this name, uh, Henry Washburn. Does that ring any bells to anyone? Uh, you know when you're driving through Clinton and there's that random graveyard with the 29 mile an hour um, mile, uh, speed limit? Anybody know that? Right? That graveyard there, there's a man uh, buried there. His name's Henry Washburn. And Henry ba Washburn was an interesting person. He, he went to law school in New York. Uh, he graduated. He moved to Vermilion County and became a, an auditor, a, a politician, lawyer. He was just a really smart guy. And that was in the 1850s. And then the Civil War broke out, and so Washburn joined the Union Army, and he served as Lieutenant Colonel of the 18th Indiana Regiment. And he had such military success that before too long, he was actually nominated by President Lincoln himself to be Brigadier General. And then after that, by President uh, Jackson to be Major General in 1866. After the war, Washburn returned to his law practice and to politics. He served uh, in the House of Representatives in the late 1860s, um, and then at some point he was appointed to Surveyor General in Montana. 
Now, he, he, he died in 1871. He, he's buried in Clinton, Indiana. But the year before he died, in 1870, um, as surveyor, he had this opportunity to uh, lead a, an expedition in this big plot of land in Wyoming that we, we now know as Yellowstone National Park. And he went there, and he explored the land with these other guys. And, and if you've ever been there, they, they eventually came across these geysers these holes in the ground that would erupt and blow water into the air. And uh, they came across one in particular. And what was notable about it was not just its size, it's huge, but the fact that every 75 to 90 minutes the thing would erupt. It was predictable. It was reliable. You could count on it to erupt at that time every time. And so it was he and his uh, people, his expedition, that gave this geyser the nickname Old Faithful. Anybody ever seen it in person? Right. So you know what I'm talking about. Old Faithful, right? Um, and so you can know that the guy who gave it that nickname is buried right, uh, right, uh, right down the road, okay? That's cool, pretty neat. But we give a lot of things this nickname, Old Faithful, don't we? Old Faithful. It's my, it's my Old Faithful car over here. It shouldn't be working still, but for whatever reason, every time I start it, it gets going. Or it's your old mower that seems to start up every spring. Or it's that, that, that home that stood the test of time and weather. If you're a golfer, it's your most trusted golf club, right? You whip out Old Faithful if you want to hit a good shot. I don't have one of those golf clubs. Maybe you do. I hope you do. Right? It's the nickname of a, of a really reliable friend. Old Faithful, always there for me. Always going to come to my aid. Maybe it's the nickname you have for your wife because after 40 years she'll still around and you can't believe it. Right? Old Faithful. We give things this name because people deserve it after they prove themselves, right? They stand the test of time. You can count on them. You know they're going to be there. You know they're going to come through. And so if anyone deserves this title, who is it? It's our great Savior, isn't it? Jesus Christ, faithful, the most faithful, the most deserving of this title. And so I just thought it was absolutely fitting for us to spend the bulk of our time this morning Discussing his faithfulness, because I think if we're going to talk about spirit-filled faithfulness from us, I don't think it'll be there unless it's inspired by his faithfulness to us. So we're going to do that this morning um, as led by Romans 3, right? So if you have uh, a Bible and if you've already turned there, keep your spot there. That's where we're going to spend the most of our time in Romans chapter 3. This is where the Apostle Paul, he writes this letter to the church of Rome. He desired so badly to visit these people. Right? It was probably a hodgepodge of believers, Gentiles, Jews alike. There's, there's a, uh, it's a very diverse city, a very powerful city. And he wanted to visit them, but he kept getting for His plans wouldn't allow it for, for various reasons. If you read the New Testament, you would see he tries to go and something throws him off. But we have this jewel of a letter in the New Testament written by the Apostle Paul, and it's introductory in nature. He's introducing himself. I am the Apostle Paul. You've probably heard about me. And I want to write to you and encourage you as one with apostolic authority to give you encouragement. Now, this church was probably pretty solid, pretty sound uh, to some extent, but he writes to them, teaching them just the essential, deep truths of Scripture, right? And maybe it's because the Apostle Paul didn't ever know if he was actually going to make it to them in person to teach these things in person. And so that's why he wrote it down. And so we have this jewel in the New Testament that holds just the deep truths of things that we, that we love. The things of God that are so hard to understand sometimes, but we appreciate so much about him, right? His righteousness, his faithfulness, his wrath, 
the depravity of the human heart, the fact that we all come into this world sinners. He unpacks all of these things in the book of Romans. It truly is a jewel. And in chapter 3, we pick up where Paul is teaching how the righteousness of God, the righteousness of God, is made available by faith to those who believe. If you believe in the name of Jesus Christ, you have the righteousness of God in your life. It's unreal. It is grace. It's the very definition of it. And he says there's no conditions. There's not really any circumstances to it outside of belief in Jesus Christ. That is salvation. It doesn't matter who you are, where you've come from, what your last name is, what your religious uh, pedigree is, what your ethnicity is. It does not matter. Those who believe in Jesus Christ are given the righteousness of God, and so you are justified before him. And so he starts this section off um, where we're reading today. And I think what he does is he gives us a good New Testament perspective of the law. Now, when we think of law, we oftentimes just kind of try to bottle, bottle it up, right? The Ten Commandments and the, the sacrificial system and all of these things that you read in the first five books of the Bible. And we just bottle that up to mean the law. The law, it was essential, but what Paul is saying here is that it was never the path to righteousness, certainly never the path to salvation. Rather, it, was, it served to, to reveal to us as human people how depraved we are, how sinful we are. And not only that, it, it served the purpose of revealing how righteous our God is. So, Ron read for us, starting in verse 21. I want to read verse 20 and then into 21, and we see this uh, um, straight from Paul's words. Look at verse 20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. So at base level, you just think about the Ten Commandments, and you look at that list, and you think, this is good to live for. But I know for a fact that I've already broken so many of these. I'm a liar. I, you know, you, you go down the list. I've put other things before God in my life. And you look at that list, and one of the things that we should take away from that is that we are imperfect. We are broken. We are depraved. God's standard is perfect, and we could never, never get there. That's what the law teaches us. It reveals our sin to us. Right? It reveals to us our sin. But not only that, verse 21. Now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. So the law and the prophets don't just reveal our sin to us, but at the same time, it makes known to us the righteousness of God. So put simply, the law served this purpose, to let you know that you are not righteous and you have none of it in you, but all of it is his. He is fully righteous. He is the righteous God, the only one. We get that? That's the law. That's what the law served. And it's a good perspective for us as New Testament believers to read the law and to think about these things and just look through the whole span of it and think, God is righteous and I am not. God is righteous and I am not. Right? People are not. This is what he's saying in Romans 3. And so it's the law through which we receive God's righteousness. So it's not the law through which we receive God's righteousness. And maybe you, you think that you have achieved some righteousness because you follow the law. You take great pride in that, right? That you, you're a moral person and you, you stand firm on the law. Maybe you like the appearance of righteousness that it, that it gives to other people about your life when you stand upon the law. But God says righteousness comes in a completely different way. It comes by faith and belief in Jesus Christ. Let's read on in verses 22 through 24. 
This righteousness is given through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. It's good, isn't it? God sees righteousness by one name. It's Jesus Christ. And it's in this name that he makes a point to say that anyone, Jew or Gentile, anyone, I mean anyone, can be justified freely by the grace of Christ if we believe in him. The righteousness of God is given to those who believe in his son. And so if you believe in the name of Jesus, God sees you as justified, which is unreal. That God sees you, he knows how imperfect you are, he knows how much you don't deserve any of this, and yet by the blood of Jesus Christ, he sees you and he says, you're good to go. You're justified, you're made right with God. That makes no sense. If you are at all in tune with your own depravity and your own sinfulness, you understand that that makes no sense. Surely God knows how bad I am. Surely he knows how much I don't deserve this. And God says, don't call me Shirley. And and that's uh, the grace of Jesus. That's the grace. That's the definition of it. You don't deserve it. There's nothing you could do to earn it. And I'll I'll go ahead and just throw this out there. I I understand that it's really hard for people to believe this. Grace is hard to to wrap your head around. A lot of people, they, they get stuck with belief They don't ever get there because they never really truly think that Jesus' death was enough to cover them. They think they've done too much wrong. They think they've done too much wrong and they don't fully understand the the gravity that, that God became man and then died on your behalf. And so they don't understand that his death is fully enough to atone for your sin. Or two, people refrain from belief because they don't want to admit that they need a savior. That something's terribly wrong with them. That they actually need uh, someone to lay down their life on their behalf. We don't want to be put in that position. We don't want somebody's blood to be on our hands. And so we refuse it altogether. And so Paul says here, it really doesn't matter who you, if you're that person that thinks you've just sinned too much, take it from Paul. It doesn't matter how much, how bad you think you are. Right? If anyone knew this, it was the Apostle Paul, wasn't it? Who breathed murderous threats at the Christians, who persecuted the church of God, who Jesus appears to him and says, why are you persecuting me? Right? And yet, Jesus showered this man with his grace, used him phenomenally for the gospel of Christ. If he can cover a man like that, he can cover you. There's nothing you've done worse than that, I'm sure. And listen, I understand this whole idea of, of being, you know, finding it hard to admit you're a sinner, especially if, if it means someone else's blood is on the line for you. Right? People don't typically desire to be in that scenario. I, I know I don't. I'll, I'll make any pain or sickness seem less than it is so it doesn't inconvenience anyone else. Right? I, I know that feeling. Let me give you a hypothetical here. If I was told I needed a, a heart transplant or I'm going to die in three months, three months, and one of my close friends came to me and said, you, you can have my heart, then I would probably go to the grave pretending everything was fine so that my friend would not be inconvenienced by even the appearance of the need for such a thing. Does that make sense? I'll pretend everything's okay because I, I don't want to inconvenience them. But let me give you this thought. If I needed a heart transplant or I'm going to die in three months and at the same time I was told that there was a man who heard my need and already donated his heart to me. 
It's already been done. It's there. It's available to me. How sad would it be for me to still hold to my pride and to not use that life afforded to me at the cost of another? And here's the thing. We are in that spot. Jesus already did it. He has already made peaceful atonement between us and God by his blood shed on the cross. And so it really comes down to this. Are you going to accept the life that he has afforded you until you have peace with your creator? Or are we going to hold to our pride as if we're inconveniencing him? And if that's the case, then we, we do not understand grace. Let's look at verse 25. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh-oh. I flipped my Bible. There it is. Uh, verse 25. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. And he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus Christ. And what he's saying here is that Jesus' death on the cross was a presentation to the world of the righteousness of God. How? Because God allowed Jesus to bear his wrath against a sinful world instead of just wiping everybody off the face of the planet, which is what we deserved. He left the sins committed unpunished so that the work of Christ may be completed and we may be afforded grace. In God's patience with humanity... He left the sins committed unpunished so Jesus could finish his work. Right? That's unreal to me that God did not, that, that if God did not lead Jesus to the cross, if he decided to just go ahead and punish the sins that had been committed, what will, that means is that there wouldn't be an earth now, and if there was, we wouldn't be on it, right? He's done this before. He's punished the sins that were committed, and he, he, he caused a flood to come onto the entire earth, and he said after that, I'm never going to do that again. And now... Instead of punishing the sins that were committed, he decides to give people a way out of their sin through belief and faith in Jesus Christ. Now let me go ahead and ask you, does anyone still feel like you've deserved your righteousness today? Does anyone still take proudly your righteous status? You feel like you've followed some uh, set of rules or you, you've done some religious act so, do you, so you receive God's righteousness? I'm telling you, you did nothing. And I have done nothing. And yet in God's patience and in his righteousness and in his grace, he did everything through Jesus Christ. And so it's no wonder verse 27 starts off how it does. Where then is boasting? Who's got anything to say about this? Who's going to boast about this? I've made it pretty clear to you. You've done nothing. So how are you going to boast about your own righteousness? All we can do is believe in him who brought for us Everything, all we can do is have faith in Jesus Christ. We don't deserve anything. It goes on and says, is it excluded? I'm sorry, it is excluded because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through the same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? No, not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. And I love that. Once again, he says, Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, it does not matter. 
if you followed the old laws of circumcision or if you practiced the new laws of just doing without that and not care. It, it just doesn't matter where you've come from. What matters is what you believe and what matters is your faith. And in this way, we don't nullify what God was trying to accomplish through the law. We don't nullify that. Rather, we, by, by acknowledging our own depravity, by acknowledging God's righteousness given to us through faith in Jesus Christ, we uphold God's point and purpose all along. We get that, right? I love that. So that brings us to the question, what does any of this have to do with the spiritual fruit of faithfulness? Well, in case you miss it, it's mentioned about six or seven times in that passage. Don't be thrown off. In Galatians 5, it talks about faithfulness. In Romans 3, it refers to faith. In the Greek word, those are the same exact word. Faithfulness and faith. We're talking about the same exact thing. This faithfulness that God calls us to in the spirit. It's a, it's a spiritual fruit. Somehow it's supposed to play out in our lives. And it, it, it's essentially faith. It's belief. It's trust. But based on what? Right? So here's a few things that we've been saying through this whole study on the spiritual fruits. First of all, the more we get out of the way, a.k.a. the more we resist our flesh and the more that we pursue Christ through his word and, and through his people, right? The more we get out of the way, the freer his spirit is to live through us for his glory and for his mission. We've said this almost every week. That our task is not to be more peaceful, kind, loving, gentle people, right? All we're going to do is just max out by our own will and our own effort and all of these things. Rather, what we're going to do is focus our efforts on resisting flesh and we're going to pursue him in every way we know how and we're going to let him live vibrantly through us so that other people can taste and see that he is good through the spirit pouring out in our lives. That's the point, right? And so we get out of the way and his spirit becomes freer and freer. We've said this every week. Secondly, we've been saying that the spiritual fruit in our lives is to be fed to this world. That it's not just for us. It's not just so that we can get a big head about our own spirituality. It's so that other people will benefit and see that he is good. Right? These, these are the things that we've been talking about this whole time. And so it raises this question that we've been answering this whole time. What marks spiritual faithfulness? How does it overflow in a person's life? Does it mean that you're just a more reliable and trustworthy person? Maybe, to some extent, right? The Bible kind of calls us to this. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. Those who I can trust with little, I can trust with much. But there's people who don't need Jesus Christ who fulfill that. I know a lot of reliable people who have no need for Jesus Christ. Does it mean uh, that we're marked by good deeds? Sure. James says that, right? Faith without deeds is dead, but I know a lot of people filled with good deeds who have no need for Jesus Christ. Does it mean that we're consistent, predictable, right? We're the old faithfuls, the, the geysers of our world, right? We're just kind of honest, down to earth. You know what, what's coming. Maybe to some degree, but again, you don't need Jesus to do this. So what is spiritual faithfulness? What's the difference? And let me go ahead and just say it's all of the above, but even more so it's this. It's a belief and a trust in Jesus that comes from these understandings that we see in Romans 3, right? A belief and trust that stems from these understandings. First of all, Romans 3, we don't deserve anything. We don't deserve anything. There's nothing. Romans 3 says that all have fallen short of his glory. That our works don't mean anything. It doesn't afford us any righteousness. We don't deserve it. It gives us a right place before God to understand that he is everything. We are nothing. Anything good that we have is from him. We don't deserve it. 
That's grace. Secondly, that he alone is righteous. And so if we want to live in his righteousness, then we seek him and get out of the way so that he is righteous through us. Does that make sense? He alone is righteous. And so we pursue him through other spirit-filled people, through his church, through his word. We pursue him because he alone is righteous. And so we seek his righteous people and his righteous word to move in our lives. He imparts his righteousness to us in that way. And thirdly, when things get hard, and they will, if you desire to be faithful to the Lord in the places in your life, when they get hard, you need to remember this. He is faithful always. He is faithful always, right? While we were sinners, he died for us. Nehemiah 9.33 says this. I love this little verse. In all that has happened to us, you have remained righteous. You have acted faithfully while we acted weak, uh, wickedly. You have acted faithfully while we acted wickedly. Some of us would describe days of our last week that way. I was wicked and he was faithful. Once again, I was wicked and he was faithful. What a God. But when we think about these three things, that we don't deserve anything, that he alone is righteous, and, and even in the tough spots, he's faithful always, right? This is the understanding that was purposed for us in the law. It's the way to believing in Jesus Christ for salvation. And for believers now, they are essential understandings for belief and trust as we live for his glory and his mission. And so let's think once again about these places in life that we are called throughout Scripture to use to live for his glory and his mission, right? To make his name famous by the way we live and to spread his gospel. By the way, these are, these, this is the point of human existence, right? You get that. This is the point of human existence, to live for his glory and to advance the gospel, how do we be faithful in this? Take the things in your life and ask this question. How can you be faithful in that area? For example, your finances. Do you desire to be faithful in the way you use your money? Right? You all have it. You're all wealthier than you think you are. Uh, myself as well. But here's the thing. We don't deserve any of it. We don't deserve any of it. And I know much, how much time and energy and blood, sweat, and tears you've put into that paycheck. And I'm telling you, God gave you all of those so you could get that. It's from him. It's, it's his. He gave it to you. You don't, you don't deserve it. It's a gift from him. But he is righteous. And if you want his righteousness to be used in your life in that way of finances, then what do you do? You seek his righteous word and you seek righteous counsel from the people who are filled with his spirit, his church, and his Bible, his word. His church and his word. And what you're going to find out is that maybe he's going to call you to give more than you're comfortable with to a church or a ministry or a person in need or a missionary. And that's when you remember this. He's going to be faithful. If he calls you to it, then he's going to supply your need. God's not in the work of, uh, of calling you to something and then, and then just like ditching you afterwards. Be faithful. He is faithful. Let that press you in into the tough spots. Do you desire to be faithful with your career? Faithful to, to proclaim his name and advance his gospel in, in your work, your job. Well, you don't deserve that job, first of all. Let's, let's just get the right perspective. You don't deserve that. There are so many people in this world who would love your job. You don't deserve it. It's a gift from the Lord. Find blessing in it, thank the Lord for it, but understand you didn't deserve it, right? Romans 3 said if we got what we deserved, we wouldn't be on this planet anymore. 
We don't deserve this, and yet he has given it to us. And so, what do we do? Well, we desire to use our careers as a means of faithfulness to the Lord, which means we remember he alone is righteous. And so if we want to use these things righteously, we need his righteousness imparted to us so that we can use it righteously. It's his righteousness. So how do we do that with our careers? Well, we pursue his word, and we take the advice of spirit-filled people, the church and the word, the church and the word. We, we pursue Christ fully in these ways. And we're going to find out a few things. That even in our secular jobs, we are supposed to have a good rapport among people and a, a good attitude. We're supposed to be working as unto the Lord. This is a good thing. This is what his Bible tells us to do. It's also going to tell us to use that uh, relationships, the, the, the relationships that are inspired by your work, these people that you see on a daily basis, to encourage people and to love people and to proclaim Christ's love to people in the way you live and speak and share the gospel. Because guess what? Souls are the only thing in this world that are everlasting. Why would you think that your job is about anything less than souls? Or anything else for that matter? That's what's most important in this life, is to make his name famous, to spread his gospel to the souls around you. Your job is a tool for that. Be faithful in it. And guess what? If you think living for Jesus Christ is going to hinder your promotion or hinder your job in whatever way, he's faithful. He's going to take care of you. If you lose your job because you love the name of Jesus Christ, he's going to be faithful to you. If you lose a promotion because you love Jesus Christ, he's going to be faithful. He's going to take care of it. We could go on and on and on about this. What about sexuality? First of all, we don't deserve the gift of physical intimacy, right? We could just procreate like the rest of creation without pleasure, and yet God said, I want to give you pleasure in this, right? We, we don't necessarily need that to subdue and fill the earth, and yet he gave it to us. It's a gift. We didn't deserve that. We didn't create that. And so your organs and your hormones and your impulses and your attractions, they're his. They're from him. Praise God. But we want to be faithful with it. And so we remember that he alone is righteous, which means we seek his wisdom, his counsel from his word, from his people. And we're going to find out that it is actually really good to walk some fine lines with this sexuality, especially in this world that we live in. In his righteous word, we're going to learn that marriage is between man and woman. In his righteous word, we're going to learn that sex is reserved for the marriage bed. And guess what? It's going to be hard in this culture, but he is faithful. He is faithful. You're going to understand why he said what he says. If you honor his word about it, if you're faithful to him about it, he's going to come through for you, and he's going to help you understand why his way is better. What about your ability or your giftedness? How do you be faithful to the Lord in your ability, right? Take an take a athletic gift or ability, for example. You don't deserve it, right? We can go ahead and just make that short this time. You don't deserve it. We could, we could draw that out, but we're not going to. You don't deserve that gift. It's a gift from the Lord. But you want to use it faithfully. Well, he alone is righteous. And so seek his people and seek his word and try to find out how to use that gift. Use that gift for him. To be a display of, of Christ's love in the most competitive of arenas is a wonderful sight. Far too often Christians just jump into the game. They're yelling at refs. They're getting paid $10 to watch your four-year-old play terrible softball, right? They're, they don't deserve that. And yet we just jump into the crowd and just start barking at people. And we just totally lose our cool. And I've seen the story over and over and over again. 
people who, who commit their children to thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars worth and, and weekends and, and time away and oftentimes at the cost of their own spiritual well-being so their kids can, can be a part of sports for 18 years and they'd be semi-decent on a basketball team in a church league, right? The payoff's not there. We see it from this side, but, but for so many people, they think that the option's so much better. Yeah, I'm, listen, I'm a sports person. I love sports. I was in that game. I'm not telling you to ditch it. I'm saying if you're not using it for the gospel, you're wasting your time. It affords you so much time with other people, other parents who have kids on your team. If you're not using it to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ, if you're not using it to spread the gospel, you're wasting your time more than most. Be faithful. And guess what? He's going to be faithful. He's going to be faithful. Your kid has to skip a practice because he's, he wants to go to youth group that night. But he might lose his starting position. Well, you know what? God's going to be faithful. If you're doing what you're doing for Jesus Christ, he, he's going to be faithful. Your kid wants to let uh, someone who's worse than them on the team take the starting position because they just kind of have a heart for him and, and they want to encourage them in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, God's going to reward that. He'll be faithful. He'll be faithful. And let's quit barking at our referees. They don't deserve that. They don't get paid enough for that. Don't jump in that game. We could go on and on, guys. We could go on and on. But I really want to draw it down to this. We as a ministry, we are desiring to be faithful to God as we pursue whatever it is that he has for us next. Right? Even here at FBN, as you heard last week, there's some exciting things afoot. Uh, as Brett uh, unpacked it for us. And we'll be honest, we don't have much wisdom in this. We don't know what God has for us. We don't know exactly how to pursue it. And so I was extra thankful um, this past week to just get this encouraging text. And, and it was just a simple verse that I, I've known forever. And yet in the context of faithfulness, it just hit me like a brick. And I want to share it with you. And it's one you all know, Matthew six thirty three. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And you want to know what? I think the key to unleashing the spirit of Christ in our lives is right there in that verse. And you're probably thinking, man, we just spent six weeks covering all this. You could have just read us this verse when we've been done. Probably. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you as well. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 says something very similarly, and I believe this is the definition of faithfulness. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. Trust the Lord with all of your being. Pursue him. Press into his righteousness. Reach for him. Resist the flesh. Pursue him with everything through his church, through his word, through the avenues that we can have a full, vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. And he's going to use you. He will use you. He will use you. This is faithfulness to God. It's full reliance, full trust. And if we press towards him, pursue him, he'll be faithful. Our prayer for this church, perhaps the primary reason for us entering into this heartbeat series was to see a church unhindered in this way. What it would be to see FBN unhindered by selfish and discontent living, by wasteful investment, by dominated schedules, by a quenched spirit or dormancy in faith. And maybe, maybe his faithfulness to us is exactly what we need to break these patterns of dormancy in our lives. Let's pray. 
God, we ask by your mighty hand that you would shatter the places of dormancy in our lives. Father, we are a busy people consumed by so many things and so many gifts from you. God, all of these things, all of our resources and our abilities and our relationships, we understand we don't deserve any of it. Anything good comes from your hand. We didn't do anything to earn it, and yet you've given it to us for a reason. Why would we think the reason is anything less than for souls? To make your name famous in this world and to lead people to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. This is what people need to hear, and this is why you have put us in the places that we are in. God, let us not be distracted Let us not be too proud to find ourselves being faithful to you in these areas. But God, we do ask that as we enter in and expect things to be a little more difficult because of your namesake, that you will be faithful to us. God, we trust you in this and we ask that you would do a work today through your word that would last uh, much further than today. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. I want to close by just saying, uh, if you're here and you've realized his faithfulness to you like never before. Maybe you feel compelled today to make a decision towards him. I pray that you would do this, to, to bottle up your pride and to accept his death on your behalf. Ask Jesus in your life today. Thank him for his death on your behalf. Acknowledge that he is Lord of all things and invite him to be Lord of your life. And if you want to pray with somebody, if you want to uh, take this day to, to just say, make some motion towards that, I pray that you would just seek me out or seek someone who you trust out. Seek Pastor Brett. We'll be around. Come and just share with us that you've given your life to Christ today. Let us celebrate with you in that. Secondly, consider your priorities and your pursuits, the things that consume your schedules. Lay it out on the, all on the table. And pray that God would reveal any place in your life that you're not using those things for him whatever it is, and ask him to make you faithful in that area. It's been given to you. It's been gifted to you for the sake of his glory and his gospel and for the souls that are in your life. Ask him to make you faithful in that area. Thirdly, consider the people in your life who who, who don't know Christ. They're the people you work out with, the people you go to work with, the people that you go to school with, and so on. Ask God to make you faithful to see them as he sees them and to see them as a priority and purpose for your life because they are. God has made these relationships. He's made these places possible through the way that you live. You you have a relationship with them. Use it. And lastly, if being faithful to God in such a way sparks any kind of fear or anxiety or discomfort in your life, and it will, it certainly will, pray that his faithfulness would inspire us to press forward in faithfulness and not to retreat back into dormancy as we so often do. Pray about these now and pray about them this week. This time's yours.